a good friend who was a Rolex distributor in New Zealand. So whenever we went back to do Rally New Zealand, we used to pop in and see my friend Chris. So we used to bring these watches out. Oh, Can you, you imagine know. that these days, walking into Rolex shops, saying, oh, I'd like a watch and buying one and walking out. It doesn't happen now, there's waiting lists. But anyway. Well, now, even a waiting list, to go on a waiting list, you've got to be a, a known customer and have watches from them before. So. How much you originally paid for your Rolex Submariner? <laughs> I bought it for £800. Yes, £800, and it is real. Yeah, Just before yeah. anyone starts writing in the comments, obviously, no, it is real. It's been certified by Rolex. If your watch is not 100% legit, or if you think it's not 100% legit, don't take it to Rolex for service. Joining me is someone who has made time and timekeeping the very centre of their career. I'm delighted to welcome Nicky Grist to our channel. He, of course, um, is... I think, the world's most famous co-driver in company with Colin McRae. And Nick, your job has really been about keeping time. Time is absolutely central to what you do. And I guess you can say that keeping an eye on the time has defined your life and career. It has. And now the wife can't even get me to be ready 10 minutes before we do at the restaurant. So I think when you've lived life to the second and now even less than that, a tenth of a second on the stages, you know, life was very much by sort of by by the, the second. Um, but now things have changed a little bit. I'm still involved in motorsport, but I still love my watches because they meant such a lot through my career of keeping me on time. And um, I think we all have passions of um of of owning a nice watch and everybody's idea of a nice watch is is different to the next but uh certainly the the career was very defining from that point of view absolutely now we're going to talk about your career in much more detail a bit later on but first of all let's talk about some watches now you've been kind enough to bring down uh, a few highlights of your watch collection yeah. and i'd like to start off if we can with the most colorful uh, watch on this display that we have here and that's this watch now this is no ordinary watch yes it looks like a digital watch but this is a watch that's been specifically designed for uh, rally co-drivers mm -hmm. um, as you can see it's a special edition Colin McRae Nicky Grist um, tell us a little bit about this watch Nick and if, if you can sort of to explain roughly how it works because I think most people wouldn't have a clue where to start I know I know I don't well, a rally is broken up into sections, really. So you leave a main time control to start the rally, and then you have a section that takes you to the arrival of a special stage. Then there's a three-minute gap, and then you start the special stage. That special stage starts another section, which takes you through the stage to the arrival of the next stage. So the timing elements... Are, or the, the time to do those sections are already pre-allocated. Well, with watches, standard watches that you could buy, and in the earlier days, we just used Casio watches because they were fairly robust plastic, quite durable, and they offered us a digital to display, which we could accurately have a display to where we are on the second. Timing elements really important because we had to check in in the minute that we wanted. Check in before you're penalized a minute for every minute that you're early. And that's your responsibility. That's it's not my driver's, no. so like, you know, you've got to get that right. Absolutely, absolutely. He's just driving and going into time controls under my, my control. And then, you know, every minute late is then a 10-second penalty, which isn't bad. So 
you know, if we're late, then it's it's not too bad. But that knowing exactly what the minute is and when you need to check in was really important. And over time, digital watches became the norm, but then watches with specific functions to allow the co-driver to be able to do his job, have double checkups of the manual time card entries that the marshals would do, making sure there was no mistakes. And it actually logs our stage times because we manually start it and then we could press a button to stop at a flying finish, which freezes the time of day we cross the finish line, gives us our stage time in the display. So when the time card comes back to us, we could just look at it, check the time card against the watch. Yep, I agree with that, that's fine. And off we'd go, we just press another button and then the uh, road section time continues counting from the start of the stage which then that timer is counting down the road section and then also allowing me to see exactly how much time we've got left. And our special trip meter computer on the dash tells me how far I've got to go. So I could always gauge whether we're going to arrive on time, whether we're going to arrive late. So we best start pushing on a little bit. And it was basically all of that was down to the co-driver. So this really was a vital bit of kit, but these modern day um, fast time co-driver watches. It's the only watch of its kind, but this is what all the pro uh, professional co-drivers now use. And in fact, um, normally we see rally co-drivers, you'll have sometimes two or three yeah. watches, won't you? And uh, you mentioned another co-driver who has more than that. So how many watches do you normally take with you on a rally or did you when you were competing? Because of course you're, you're not anymore. No, no. But I'd always wear two of these, one on each arm. So basically, I always had a backup should my main one, the one on my left arm was always the main one. That's the one that I would use to store all my stage times. And the one on the left side I used, just used to use for countdown of sections going from time controls to time controls. So I always had one counting up, one counting down, um, just to make sure I keep 100% on track of timing. But this particular one, obviously following Colin's death, I wanted to have a specific edition which I wanted to celebrate our relationship together and we only made I think about 200 of these um, or possibly even less I think I can't remember now um, but it's a Colin McRae Nicky Grist edition so very rare item that. That's a very special watch how much time does that spend on your your wrist? Not very much but it's on the desk in front of me in my office so I'm always looking at it um, but I don't wear it that much I'm probably um, I'm going to take my rally car out and I'll probably wear it on, on, on the rally car as a driver, not as a co-driver. So, you know, not so much time anymore. Um, I think it's fair to say I've had plenty of time in the passenger seat. So, uh, you know, I'm happy just to look at it on my desk for now. Absolutely. Now, to be fair, that's a very specific watch for a very specific use. Um, luckily, you've got some other watches which, let's say, are slightly more elegant and graceful than than, than this one. Mm. Um, let's start off with the Daytona. The Daytona is an incredibly special watch. The values everyone's familiar with have just skyrocketed. That wasn't always the case. You could actually get hold of these watches back in the day mm. at a reasonable price. And um, in fact, you had a few, didn't you? I did. Um, again, I knew how rare a steel Daytona was. I always preferred the white face, some like the black face, but I wanted a white face one. And I had a, a good friend who was a Rolex distributor in New Zealand. So whenever we went back to do Rally New Zealand, we used to pop in and see my friend Chris. And, um, 
you know, he says, yes, I've got some nice stuff in the in the um, in the safe for you. So we used to bring these watches out. Oh, Can you imagine know. that these days walking into Rolex shops saying, "Oh, I'd like a watch," and buying one and walking out doesn't happen now. There's waiting lists. But anyway, well, now even a waiting list to go on a waiting list, you've got to be a, a known customer and have watches from them before. So getting these kind of watches, unless you want to pay through the nose and through um, collectibles, then you, you know you're stuffed really. But I had. Um, two or three of these. I've sold two of them onto friends, but I've kept this one particularly and recently had it serviced. It looks that's, pristine. I was going to say, it looks, looks amazing. It is. It's absolutely brand new. And the, the job they do in Rolex is absolutely superb. The, the detail they go to replacing the face with a little scratch. But when it came back, it was like when I bought it new. And I've hardly wear it. You caught me wearing it the other day. And I think that was the first time I'd worn it. Um, <laughs> But basically, it's too nice to wear. I know the feeling. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It really, really is. And, and the one thing that's, obviously, I've had this for quite a number of years now, but the one thing about my Daytona, it's the, the, the pre-Rolex movement as well, yes, which course, now the they're, Camaro, quite, yeah. they're sort of quite well sought after um, and an earlier model, but the value of these have just gone up and up and up. And, you know, there's no sign... I mean, they've changed so much in their design with a bit of a ceramic bezel on them now as well. But at the end of the day, I think the value of these will only but go up and up and up. Yeah. And it's a, I had to have one. I'm never going to get rid of it. Um, not unless something horrible happens and needs some money. But at the end of the day, that can keep appreciating my safe at home. I think that's safer than money in the bank. Now, you like your Rolexes because, of course, you've got one on your wrist as well. Not not content with having one of them out. There's one on the wrist as well. Yeah, I I mean, there's, there's so many. And I, and I don't, I appreciate why people call them all different names. Pepsi Cola, the Hulk, whatever it may be. Can it? Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. And, you know, I, I just like to call them. It's a GMT Master II and it's a black dial. I loved it because I just loved the ceramic bezel and I loved the style of the uh, the numerals around the bezel and I, I just thought it's a smart watch. And and this, more often than not, is my everyday watch. This is what I'd wear in the office uh, generally. Um, and again, I've just had this serviced just to give it a, a get it timing a smack on and, and get it looking pretty again. But I just love the Rolex element and... Um, you know, my one watch I've, I've given to my um, wife now, a Submariner. She wears that. She likes a big, chunky watch as well. So that's her watch now. And um, Explorer One is another Rolex, which I love because it was a lot smaller, a lot smaller casing. But the Explorer One is now quite a collectible in comparison to what they were, um, you know, and it's quite understated. I think all Rolex says it's incredible, really. W w would you like to, this will get our viewers um, going a little bit, w would you like to reveal how much you originally paid for your Rolex Submariner? <laughs> I bought it for £800. Yes, £800, and it is real. Yeah, Just before yeah. anyone starts writing in the comments, obviously, no, it is real. It's been certified by Rolex. £800. <laughs> pounds. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I was right place at the right time, knew the guy, it was a, a Submariner that didn't have its box or original papers. So I took a punt on it because I didn't know whether it was stolen or not. But it came from a reputable, reputable um, uh, establishment. 
had its serviced, so I thought, oh, am I going to get this watch back? But no, it's 100%. And yeah, it's... because, of course, Rolex, we should explain, shouldn't we? If, if your watch is not 100% legit, um, or if you think it's not 100% legit, don't take it to Rolex for service, because they can and do say, well, we're keeping it if they if, if they feel it's, it's stolen or fake or there's an issue with it. It is, absolutely. So anyway, it's come back, it's pristine, the wife loves it, so that's her watch. But... You know, Rolex have been a big part of my collecting, I have to say. And there's probably one other I would perhaps buy in the near future. Nothing glamorous. I'm not into gold and diamonds or anything like that. But I really do fancy an Air King. Absolutely. I just, again, it's different. I love the numerals within the dial. Numerals very similar to the outer bezel of the GMT Master II. But I just love the layout of the of the dial itself. Um, other than that, it's just a nice small watch, very smooth, very neat. But I think um, quite understated. And I have to say that when I bought my Explorer One, which was a very understated um, watch, really quite simple. And a fellow rally driver, Richard Burns, who I introduced to. Um, my friend in the Rolex shop in New Zealand sold him a, f a watch and he was so proud of it. It was Richard Burns. He was so proud of this watch. And we all went out for dinner that night to this restaurant. So we were arguing about whose watch was better. Oh, it's not bad. But I said, I like mine. He said, no, look at it. He said, it's plain. It's nothing. So there was this very nice waitress there. So he thought, right, I'm going to get this waitress involved. And he, this waitress came over. He said, but would you please... Tell me what you think. I've got my new Rolex watch and my friend's just bought his. Can you tell me which one would you prefer? And she much preferred mine. She said, that's a much nicer watch. That's too fussy. I said, there you go. What? Take it. There you go, Rich. I love the Explorer one. I have one. It's, it's just understated. It is, it? yeah. It's, um, and um, John Quinn, who has appeared in these videos before, the owner of Gikota, he has an Explorer one too. And John believes the Explorer one is the best watch in the world. His words, not mine. Yeah. And it's a beautiful watch as well for ladies. If they don't like the big, chunky 42 mil bezel um, watch, that, like the Submariners and what have you, the Explorer one's slightly smaller and it looks really nice on a, on a lady's arm as well because it's bigger than the ladies' one, which really are quite small. So, yeah. But, but Sea King's the next one, if I'm... Um, Air King, sorry, is the next one I'm going to get. Absolutely. Now, Rolex is very synonymous with motorsport, isn't it? We see it as a sponsor of Le Mans. You talk about the Rolex 500. And many racing drivers win Rolexes as, as, as part of competition. Have you ever won any watches in part of your careers? Ever been part of the prize package? No, nothing. What a shame. I know, I know. I've been, we've been on the poor end. In the, the World Rally Championship didn't seem to attract that kind of people, I think. Or companies. I mean, I'd love to have won some special edition Rolexes of some kind. But no, they'd never tied in with rallying, which uh, there was always an argument with the co-driver and timing and stuff. You thought they would do. But um, no, we've had to buy everything we've, we've, won, we've got. Well, there we go. Now, just before anyone thinks that Nick is a helpless Rolex addict, you've brought along another watch as well. And it's not a Rolex. It's, it's a Panerai. It's a very beautiful Panerai. Well, it's quite different. I mean, this one, this is as it came. Um, I got various straps on this Panerai just to change the mood, um, you know, from black uh, to plastic even. Um, you know, it's, it's, I like the plastic straps that Panerai do. This particular one is my second Panerai. My first one, my wife bought me actually. 
you know, this particular one is a ceramic. Um, so it's quite different from my other ones because, you know, literally you can scratch it and it disappears. You rub it and you can kind of get rid of the markings. But I love the black look. It's very mm, stealth. Very stealth. Yeah, um, I like that. And especially when you put a black matte um, suede strap on it, it looks gorgeous. Mm. And I just change over all the, the relevant connections, the buckles and everything. And it just works beautifully. And I, I just I just love that look. And of course, this very unique um, attachment locking device on, on the one side. But it's an Italian brand, um, you know, came up through the, the Italian military, I think. Did and this particular one, I went to the original Panerai shop in the square in uh, Florence, right next to the Duomo. And that's where their original shop was. And um, now I don't think they do it anymore. So it was limited at the time. But I do love that. And I love the other one my wife bought me, um, which is a GMT type thing with um, lovely silver casing and again with a different strap scenario. And it's that's more of a dressy up watch. This is something you can dress up or dress down. Um, but again, that's another one of my passion. I love the fact that you've bought your watches from all over the world. Some have come from New Zealand. This one has come from um, the, the near the Duomo in Florence. Um, this, this, this watch has come from much closer to home. Is, is there any continent you've not bought a watch in? Have you got an African watch? Uh, no, no, I've never found anything there. Um, although nowadays, you know, if I go away, I will always look in a Rolex shop or in a secondhand shop because you never know what you're going to get when you go abroad. Unfortunately, Rolex are quite rare for the sport editions. You know, you've got to wait a few years to get them here in the UK. But you have more of an opportunity, especially if you were going abroad around about Brexit time and when you were arriving in these small sort of islands, go to Santorini, for instance, and go to a Rolex shop in Santorini. It, during Brexit, these guys won't get in the through flow of customers. So you could go in there and physically buy up a watch, buy a sports watch that you'd have to wait, you know, years for in the UK. So I'd always do that. But I've bought, yeah, France. Um, I bought my first ever sort of smart watch was a Breitling Navitimer, I think it was called. Bought that from France. But most of my stuff did come from New Zealand, from Italy, and then mainly from, from the UK. Right, well, before we finish, um, Thank you for showing us the watches. Now, you never won a Rolex as part of a prize, and I don't believe you bought a watch in Africa of all the contents, but there was something you won in Africa, and you've been very kind to bring it along. So let's take a look at the very, very special winning trophy for the Safari Rally, because I think we have to see this. Okay. It's a heavy thing. It's incoming. Look at this. Now, this is absolutely gorgeous. I know it's not watch-related, but even though, even though you didn't win... A Rolex watch. Look at this. Of all the trophies you've assembled, and there must be a few, this has got to be the standout, hasn't it? Why I've brought this today is Africa, rallying in Africa at this time was completely different to anywhere else in the world. You know, the road conditions are horrendous at best for the majority. And there's probably a lot of the roads you'd probably think twice about taking a Land Rover down that we had to rally in Africa. So you had to have special vehicles, stronger chassis, much higher ride height, snorkels, which took air to the engine from the top of the roof because there's no bridges. 
and you know getting through Africa was a feat in its in its own way to get to the end of the rally. The first time I went there was 1992 and I just couldn't believe it. And for the second leg, we came from a place called Mombasa to Nairobi. And we got in on that leg at something like nine o'clock at night. It was dark. We put the car in Park Fermi. We got up again because we were leaving at five o'clock the next morning. Nice. And there were still people finishing the second leg when we were starting the third leg. So these guys probably, if at best had a time to have a shower, jump in the car and go again. A real endurance event, wasn't it? It was, absolutely. And when I joined Colin McRae, you know, I knew that he was always one on maximum attack and pushing to the limit. And we went there in 1997, the first time I did it with him, and I don't think he had any real success there at all. Something always happened. And... um, you know, I thought, right, this is going to be a challenge to get Colin McRae round Safari Rally. And when I actually, we went there to do a test from a place called Windy Corner, just on the outskirts of uh, Nairobi, on the edge of the Great Rift Valley. And we did this 35-kilometer test road, which, you know, was fast and flowing generally with some rough, rocky bits. But then we had this rocky descent, which was horrendous. So we made the pace notes down and we made the pace notes back. Now, pace notes for people are a detailed description of the road, allowing the driver to know exactly the severity of the corner, the braking points and the speed he can take this corner. And there was a lot more cares and cautions and double cautions in the notes. So we got back to the service and I said, what are all these cares, cautions and triple cautions? He said, oh, that's warning me about the conditions. I said, right, okay. Well, we're going to have to change this. So what we did, I said, he said, well, what do you suggest? And I said, well, we've got to come up with another set of pace notes. You've got a pace no- set of pace notes to go fast. Now you need a set of pace notes to go slow. So what you have to do is you have to describe the condition that you're facing. So be it rocks, ditch, hole, bump, whatever it may be, you, you say what it is. And then we apply a speed which was a description, slight, medium, uh, bad, slow, and stop. Those were the speeds we used. And then you apply that speed for that condition, and then you'll know exactly how much you must slow down to pass that um, danger without causing any stress on the car. Because it's going as fast as you possibly can, but slow enough that you don't damage the car. So there was a logic in it. So we went up and down this section, and then we found a section, right, well, here it's smoother to the left. So right, here you keep left over medium rough or medium rocks, and then you keep right over 100 for over something else. So we worked it out over this test day that we had, and we sat off in the recce, prepared, and... We got through the rally. We had a couple of technical issues with the car, but we won the rally. And this is what you won? That was Safari. This is 99. Now, this one's something different. Yeah. So we're going back. 1998, we did the event and we had a technical engine issue. 99 was a whole different thing. We were there with a brand new car in a Focus. Nobody expected this car to do any good at all. But we went through the normal procedure And our team boss at that time, Malcolm Wilson, who was a very experienced um, 
you know, competitor himself and team manager. And, and a watch collector as well. Malcolm's yes. Malcolm's got a great collection of watches. Well. Actually, we're going to have to get Malcolm down to tell us about them. But I digress, yeah. as always. Well, Malcolm always regarded this winning trophy and this rally as Colin's greatest ever victory. Because Colin was always one of being the fastest on every stage, fastest at every uh, service and fastest at the end of every day to hopefully win the rally at, at the end. But this rally... He wasn't fastest on one section of the rally, but we won the event by 15 minutes because he just judged his pace absolutely minutes. perfectly and just not a moment's problem with the car, not a puncture, nothing. When everybody else had problems here and there, Colin drove using the same pace note system. And this is the trophy we won, and it's a, it's a wonderful bronze carving and I do apologize to the artist that makes them in um, in Kenya but they they really are quite sought after and we won another one in 2002 which was the last of the really long safaris um, and that was a similar deal just cruised through took our time and we were in front at the end of the end of the rally that's an absolutely fabulous trophy an amazing souvenir thank you so much for showing it to us and for telling us about your watches. No, my pleasure.